Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. As you can see... I'm in a new office. We have decided to switch, my wife and I, and I couldn't be more excited. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see there's actually a background now. I don't look like uh, a crazy person with just white walls with nothing up anymore. It's very nice. Kane Pittman is with me. Kane and I are going to dive deep into NBA championship tiers. This is a wide open season. I think there are 13 teams that you can make a one percenter case for at the very least to win an NBA championship. So we're going to talk a little bit about those. Obviously the teams at the bottom are going to get a little bit less time. The teams at the top are going to get a little more time. We're going to go in reverse order 13 to one, break them out into tiers and talk about them that way. But first let's talk about Kane. What's going on, buddy. Well, it's good to be here. And uh, we did hang out a few weeks ago and we may have had a, a, a beer or two and talked basketball as we like to do. And I think we said, well, I don't know why we're not podcasting more in the t- same time zone, same city. So it's good. It's good that we it can makes, knock this out. It makes life so much easier. <laughs> and the good news is that I'm going to hop on Kane's podcast as well, Locked yeah. on Bucks. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you want to go find Kane over on Locked on Bucks, you can do that. Kane also... Does a million TV things, you know, internet-based things for ESPN over here in Australia. Just a terrific dude, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. But first, I want to talk very quickly about the Brandon Miller thing at Alabama. Really, I don't even want to involve Kane. Kane has been stuck in a studio yesterday. He has not not enough like knowledge, basically, just because he was stuck in a studio yesterday. The draft is also not his thing. There's this is just going to be me talking very quickly. I'm very firmly in a wait and see mode with Brandon Miller at this point. It feels like yesterday we got the police in this preliminary hearing for Darius Miles and the uh, person that committed this shooting, whose name is Michael Davis. Uh, We got the police on the stand who basically said that Brandon Miller was the person that brought the firearm to Darius Miles, who then handed the firearm to Michael Davis. Obviously, that is an incredibly bad look. Having said that, Brandon Miller is also not being charged with the crime. Every day there is new information coming out at this point. Just today, he had a statement released through an attorney basically detailing what happened that night. 
Alabama obviously is handling this incredibly poorly. Nate Oates just saying that Brandon Miller was in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, on Tuesday was insane. It, it just was absolutely entirely tone deaf. I think that Nate Oates realizes that, hence why he made the second statement later that night. I just don't think we have enough information to where I can even talk about this in a way that makes any sort of real statement on it. It just seems that there are so, there's so much gray area. I know that people are jumping down Brandon Miller's throat. And I know that people are jumping down Alabama's throat. The fact that he hasn't been charged with anything in that it seems like the police are treating him as a cooperating witness at this point does at least want to make me give pause at this point. I'm not saying he didn't do anything wrong. I think very clearly him bringing this gun to the scene is wrong. And I would probably be in favor of Alabama holding him out of competition at this point, just because it seems like new information is coming out every single day. Now that this trial has begun and these preliminary hearings have begun Even today, Greg Byrne, who is the Alabama athletic director, said that some of the information that came out yesterday was new information to Alabama. So if they wanted to sit him while this new information comes to light, I would totally understand that. I think that's very reasonable to do. But I also just don't want to really pile on yet because I don't think we have enough information. I don't think we know enough. What we do know is that Alabama is handling this very, very poorly. And I think that Nate Oates needs to stop being maybe like a little bit defensive about this. I mean, a woman lost her life in this unfortunate crime. So don't treat it like it was a sprained ankle. Like he seemed to yesterday at the press conference. Uh, That's basically all I have to say about that. I don't really know that I want to dive deeper into it at this point, just because it feels very complex and convoluted at this point. We will talk about it at a later date when more information comes to light to be sure, but that's about as comfortable as I feel with anything on the subject right now. Let's move on to NBA title tiers though, Kane. I want to start with this little three team tier at the bottom here. The number 13 team that I have is the New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans, I I am well aware that this team is 30 and 29 right now. Not a team that you would think really is in the mix heavily. Having said that, when Zion Williamson was healthy, the team was first in the Western Conference. They're 17, 17 and 12 in the games that Zion Williamson has played this season. I at least had to throw them in. I at least had to... Very, very quickly mention them. So, Kane, I'll ask you this. As said at the top, the structure of this is going to be why this team can win the title, why they can't win the title. So I'll ask the first question. Kane, why can the New Orleans Pelicans win the 2023 NBA title? They've got... Williamson and Brandon Ingram, but you mentioned what their record is with Zion. I'm curious what their record is with Brandon Ingram, and then I'm curious what their record is with both of those players because I don't think that they've played uh, too much together this season. So even when they were winning games earlier in the year, they didn't have Brandon Ingram for a lot of that. They looked pretty decent defensively, and so 
I think they're a dangerous team if they're healthy. But they're also probably a year too early. And I don't think anyone thought at the start of the season they were going to be at the top of the Western Conference across the first month or two of the season. And ultimately now you are looking at it's going to be almost two months. That might be best case with Zion has missed games with a hamstring. That is a very big hamstring. And there is significant concern, <laughs> obviously, about his health moving forward. So that's that's a big one. That might be why they can win. It might also be why they can't win. Uh but I, I think everyone has enjoyed watching this team this season of what they did earlier in the season. Obviously, they got a lot of fans here in Australia with Dyson Daniels and what he was able to do. And then he also got the injury bug. So they've had a bit of bad luck along the way. So trivia time for Kane Pittman here. here what go. do you think the Pelicans net rating is in the minutes that Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson and CJ McCollum have played together this season? Can I at least uh, first have how many minutes they have actually played together? I want to hold off on that because that is my second part of the point I'm going to make. <laughs> okay. I-, I think that they are around a- an even team on the season, on the- which would make sense. They're around a 500 team. Yeah. So with those three guys on the floor, I figure they're going to be a positive. Let's say, let's just, let's just throw a rough number, plus seven, plus eight. They're a plus four. 14.9 yeah, there you go. when Zion, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum share the court. That's the reason that I think that this team is worth talking about in a title competition. Additionally, this is a team that has a lot of lineup versatility up and down the lineup. You can throw out guys like Najee Marshall, Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones that can be super high-level defenders. You can throw out bigs like Jonas Valanciunas if you want to try and bludgeon a team with him and Zion Williamson. You can play small and versatile if you want to play with Larry Nance and Zion in the front court that way. There are just a lot of different ways that I think this team can beat you. Having said that, the reason this team can't win the, win the title is that those three guys have played 172 minutes together this mm. season. It's not a lot of minutes, right? They're going to need some time, I think, to really ramp up when they play really great teams. And I think that that's really the main issue for me is that I don't really think I can trust Zion to stay healthy right now. I don't think I can trust uh, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum to totally stay on the floor together all as a unit at this point, just because we haven't, we haven't really seen it yet. And until we see it, it's very hard to trust. Yeah, totally agree. And the, the 170 minutes or, or whatever that number was that you mentioned there, I mean, what does the plus 14 even mean? That's why they are a, a yeah. theoretical team. Uh, at the moment. But as I said, early in the season, they were the one of the teams that I'm flick, uh, flicking through league pass. So I'm like, oh, the Pelicans are playing. Let's put them on because they're seriously entertaining. Defensively, they're still top 10 in the league because of the guys you mentioned with Herb Jones and and all these guys that they can flick around, go small, go big. So the fact that they've had all those injuries and they're still top 10 uh, defensively on the season shows that for the future, they've got the group of guys together that you can put together a winning team. Okay. Number 12, I have the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings currently a robust 32 and 25 on the season. Frankly, maybe the most fun team I've watched all year. Oh, like, have you enjoyed watching a team more than the Kings all season? Well, not really. And that, that comes back to everyone talks about the way the NBA is these days. But ultimately, we love seeing teams get buckets, play fast, shoot the three. That's what the Kings do. They're entertaining every single time you watch them play. Second best offense in the league, definitely the most entertaining offense in the league. Uh, D 
De'Aaron Fox and Devonis Sabonis, just an incredible pick and roll dribble handoff combination every single night. They have shooting around them. Harrison Barnes, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, Malik Monk, even guys like Trey Lyles are hitting threes. Terrence Davis is knocking down threes. It, it's just a ridiculous set of riches offensively for this group. But they don't defend. And this team is going to be very easy, I think, to cause problems against mismatch-wise in the playoffs when De'Aaron Fox is going to have to play. And De'Aaron has defended well this year, but I think that De'Aaron is going to be a guy that teams try to hunt, unfortunately. Demonis Sabonis is definitely going to be a guy that teams try to hunt. So essentially, you have two guys in that same pick-and-roll action that are probably going to be hunted. Keegan Murray has been okay defensively. Kevin Herter's been okay defensively. They just don't have a stopper really on that end. They don't really have someone that can stem the tide. That's that's where I struggle with this team. Like I, I had to I had to put them on because they're you know thirty two and twenty five and one of the most fun teams to watch in the league. Do I think they can actually win the title? I'm pretty skeptical. Well, they're third in the West, which is the crazy yeah. thing. Now I know I know it's very very close. So that, let me ask you this: so they're thirty two and twenty five, and there's only. Three and a half games. Well, you can go even further. There's four and a half games back to the Jazz in 11th. So with yeah. 25 games to play, they're currently in third. Where do you think they end up? Because right now, to think about that, we can say that the profile doesn't look like a team that's going to have success in the postseason. But ultimately, mm-hmm. right now, if it ended right now, they're a home court team in the first round, which is kind of yeah. crazy to think about. So I will say the schedule it gets a little bit tough for them, Mm -hmm. right? Like they do have this home game against the Blazers. They should win that on Thursday, but they go to the Clippers, to the Thunder twice. Then they have the Clippers again, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Knicks, the Suns, the Bucks. Then they go on a four game road trip against the Bulls, Nets, Wizards, Jazz, and then home games against the Celtics and Suns. So that gets them to their 73rd game. That is really, really a hard schedule just because All of their tough games are at home. All of their easier games are on the road. I think there's just going to be some opportunities for them to pick up losses that maybe they shouldn't. And then on top of it, I wonder if their home court advantage, shout out the Sacramento fans. It's an unbelievable home court advantage, but like when you're playing tough teams, it's a 50, 50 proposition. So I think they finish in the top six. I do, but I think they make the playoffs straight up. I don't think they finished third, though. I will say that. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think if... And and I kind of hope that they don't fall this far because I do want to see the Kings have a proper series <laughs> and get in the postseason. As you said, the crowds uh, are going to go crazy. They'll get at least, two, at least two home games. But they would be a really entertaining and probably scary opposition in a playing game because yeah. of exactly what we spoke about. So that also would be pretty fun to see from, obviously, a complete neutral standpoint. But I'm sure Kings fans would like to avoid that if possible. I think that's dead on. Okay. The Miami Heat are number 11. The Miami Heat have a proven track record of playoff success at this point on some level. They're 32 and 27. They are a great defense. The offense has been a bit of a mess. So Kane Pittman, why can the Miami Heat win the title? They can win the title because they we've seen that they've got proven playoff performers. And I think, obviously, Bam's gone to another level. We've seen Jimmy do it in the postseason. Now, he's also had some series where it hasn't quite worked out for him. He's getting older. 
the big question is obviously the Kyle Lowry stuff. And and when yeah. you just look at the structure of the roster, he's supposed to be a top three guy. Is he that anymore in a postseason? I'm not sure. But they can still win because they have the defense, so they can turn series into half-court scraps where they want to be. They love that. They want to get in a hard, physical, half-court defensive game. So the defense can carry them to wins in lower scoring games. But then you're going to need some vintage Jimmy Butler stuff. And and that that's the question for me because then you're looking at guys like Tyler, Tyler Hero obviously can go off and win you a playoff game. But the reason they can win it is the defense, no doubt. They're still fifth in the league defensively. And no one's really spoken about them. They've kind of just been a periphery team all season long, they had, which is kind of weird to say about Miami. But they are hovering in the mix of potentially getting themselves back in a home court scenario. I think that they're an interesting group, if only because Jimmy Butler, when he's been on the court this year, has been awesome. Mm -hmm. 22 points, six rebounds, five assists. And like he does have those moments where he just like completely takes over games still. Bam Adebayo has obviously taken a real leap. He is one of the three best defensive players in the league, in my opinion. The Kyle Lowry part of it is a problem, if only because their other perimeter option is Tyler Hero. And while Tyler Hero is Mm. a very good offensive player, he is a guy that will be hunted in the playoffs defensively. And while Tyler does have that great bubble season in the playoffs, who is he's proven that he will rise to the moment offensively, I think. I worry about what it looks like on defense for Tyler. They do have enough to cover for him, I would think. But just in general, it's a slog watching the Heat on offense, man. They have the 27th best offense in the league. Obviously, they're going to be getting Kevin Love, but I don't really know what to expect from Kevin Love at this point. I don't know that you can expect much more than, you know, a couple of threes a game and hopefully insulating him on defense. That's really what it comes down to. They made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, like – I kind of think that we can't sleep on them at this point. Like we can't really sit down and just be like, they're out of it. I haven't really liked what I've seen for the most part this year, but Bam has taken a step. Jimmy hasn't dropped off at all. We, we might be sleeping on them a little bit, just, just maybe a small amount. Currently seventh. So if it played out and all the seeding went the way it would, let's say they get in a series against Milwaukee. They've played each other a lot in the postseason, they know each other very well. Yeah, how how would you feel about that series? I mean, I still don't. And this is the thing: because they play defense, because they got Jimmy Butler, and they do have guys that can score quickly. I don't think they're the first round team you want. I mean, I know we're going to get to some of the other teams that are around this mix. I, I think that they would be on the lower ranks of of the first round opponents you would want to see. But again, I, I don't think that Milwaukee should go into that series fearful that they can't beat the Heat because of the offensive stuff. So the, the next tier for us, the 10th team is Cleveland. So before I ask about Cleveland, would you rather, as a person who hosts a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, would you rather play Miami or Cleveland if you had to face one of them in the first round? Cleveland's not an option to play in the first round, really, because they're 38 and 23, but nonetheless... Well, I don't think this would make anyone uh, of the Cleveland fans happy. I think Cleveland, though, they're, they're a younger team. They, they probably had the scariest player. Well, not probably, I will say. They got the scariest player, Donovan Mitchell, I, I think is yeah. the, the guy that you're most fearful of out of the, these two teams. But we'll probably get to Cleveland a little bit more. But just the, just the short answer, probably Cleveland. 
So the reason that I think I would rather play Miami if I was Milwaukee is because Cleveland's, and this is why I think Cleveland is like a legit team that can cause problems in the playoffs and can be like a very real concern for opposing teams and maybe even make a title run or a finals run. They have elite shot making with Donovan Mitchell, with Darius Garland, mixed with the best defense in the NBA right now. If you have elite shot making mixed with elite defense, including guys that like Evan Mobley, Jared Allen can at least cause problems for guys like Giannis, like Jimmy Butler, like Bam Adebayo, like Joel Embiid. You have guys that can at least deal with some of the tougher matchups in the East. Plus that elite shot making from Donovan Mitchell. I do feel like the, the Cavs are a problem for teams in the East at the very least. Yeah, I, I and we actually we, I did a podcast with someone that covers the Cavs recently and asked them the question as well. One thing, and this is like this, yeah. people can say this is silly, but th- there's one thing that I do think when you're coming up against Giannis, and let's assume that Giannis is fully ha- healthy and hopefully he is. I think that there is something to having veteran guys that have been through the Giannis experience yeah. before over seven games. <laughs> And that's why you look at a team like Boston and Al Horford, Grant Williams, Miami, Bam Adebayo, they've seen each other in the playoffs three times in the last five years. And so that's why uh, when you look at the Bucs and Cavs matchups through the season, you haven't seen a lot of Jared Allen. He's missed it. He went out of one of those games early. He missed another one of those games. So we actually haven't seen a lot of Mobley and Allen together trying to slow down Giannis. And I think you make a really good point. But I just have... Faith, you know, with the younger guys, I know Jared Allen isn't that young, but over the course of seven games, if it gets to that, I have more fear for younger, more inexperienced players than I do the veterans. I get that. I do. And I think that's a pretty reasonable and like fair take on this because Giannis is just a different beast in the playoffs, just in terms of the physicality. Like you have to be willing to get your ass kicked basically and deal with like just getting pummeled (laughs) in the paint for seven straight games. And that's hard. Yeah. That, that shit is hard to do uh, in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm with you on, I'm with you on why the Cavs are potentially a less difficult matchup, maybe for the Bucks. You, you might've convinced me on this. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I think the Cavs though can cause problems for, it, it's weird. Like the heat is, the, the East is like this mix of, matchups right on some level where i think boston matches up kind of well with everybody at the end of the day but then philadelphia milwaukee cleveland miami these teams just have so many it's all going to depend on who they play in terms of how difficult those series are you you might be right like unless donovan mitchell gets scalding hot you know or darius garland gets scalding hot we'll be interested to see him in the playoffs as well it could be hard for them. It could be hard for them to create enough offense at that level. The other thing is they just have a very strangely built roster where Mm -hmm. I worry that if they run into a team like Boston, for instance, and by the way, they would right now in the second round, given that they are the four seed, Boston is the one seed. It would be hard for them because I think that Boston just has the size at the perimeter positions to cause mismatch problems for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I would be worried about that matchup if I was Cleveland much, much, much more so than a Philly matchup or a Milwaukee matchup Mm -hmm. where those teams are going to play a little bit bigger and almost play into my hands a little bit more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And and the counterpoint of why the Cavs would maybe go in and a young team and think they can beat the Bucks is because uh, I don't think there's great guard depth in Milwaukee. So sure, you want to put yeah. Drew Holiday on Donovan Mitchell, that's fine. But then as you pointed to, you've got Darius Garland as well. And just on the wing stuff with the Cavs, it's 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 interesting because everyone was looking, who are they going to add? Are they going to do anything that's going to make them uh, more versatile in the postseason? Uh, I don't really see anything that they were able to do there. No offense to our to our uh, veteran friend that uh, that moved over to the Cavs, but I don't know. I just I think the wing stuff is going to be really really hard. And the number one team that everyone's looking at in the East is Boston because of Tatum and Brown, and and I just think that's really problematic. Yeah, I mean, Danny Green looked fine in those early minutes didn't look great i didn't think we'll see he's coming back from injury it's possible that danny green bounces back and you know looks like the danny green of old but you know danny green's not like a physical stopper either for instance if they play jason tatum that's not something that i think danny green would be well suited to deal with anymore so uh, yeah the Cavs are in an interesting spot let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get into some of these weird west teams uh that are remaining because there are a lot of them okay we're back at number nine i actually have the memphis grizzlies i know that they're second in the west I know that Grizzlies fans, who I've built up a lot of goodwill with uh, over the years because I love this team so much and love the way they're built, love the way that this team is constructed and considered from a front office perspective. I'm a little bit worried about the way that they look right now. They're coming into the all-star break, having struggled against a lot of the best teams in the West basically after John Morant's comment regarding uh, the fact that nobody in the West worries them. I think that a big part of that is that Steven Adams is out, but their defense has been much worse without Steven Adams. Uh, It has been considerably worse. So having said that, Steven Adams isn't really a guy that you can count on in the playoffs. Uh, Like he's going to get pulled away from the basket a little bit more often than you'd like to see. He is the offensive net negative in a playoff series. We've seen him get pulled off the court in the playoffs, unfortunately, in recent times. Kane, I will ask you, why can the Memphis Grizzlies win the NBA title? Well, number one thing, defense again, and, uh, and, and the, the, well, they've got a superstar, first of all, but they are a really strong defensive team. They can play uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five if he can stay on the floor, which is also another problem. So the Stephen Adams stuff, they do actually have a cover for. They've got a cover for that uh, if they wanted to play him at the five there. So defensively, they can mix it. They honestly don't care. And I remember we hung out uh, when we hung out a few weeks ago, and I said, do you think the Grizzlies are getting ahead of themselves are they, are they doing a bit too much talking? Are they too openly confident? And you said, nah, man, I love them. And I said, I do. I'm not a, and, and I was like, I'm not 100% sure. And I will say over the last few weeks, I've thought about that conversation and I've said, you know what, Kane, you're not that old yet. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to start hating the young team that's got a bit of confidence because then everyone's boring. Like, so we love the Grizzlies the way they go about it. But the problem is they're not getting any free passes now. And they are super young, and every team wants to beat them. They've pissed everyone off. 
and, yeah. and I, I just have I, that 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 causes me some real concern. But again, they've proven even throughout this rough stretch that they've had, and they're four four and seven since Stephen Adams went out. And I agree with you to the thought that Stephen Adams is like this key piece that has maybe contributed in a big way to them going on this rough stretch is kind of crazy to think about. Maybe they need that veteran, that that adult in the room out on the floor during these games. I'm not 100% sure. But even throughout that, they're still second in the West. So that's why they can win because they are in a, in a great position to be one of the top seeds and they have an elite defense. So here's the thing. Some more trivia time for Kane Pittman here. What, what do you think that the Memphis Grizzlies in the 1,600 minutes that they've played when Steven Adams is off the court, what do you think their net rating is? Mm, I was looking at some numbers yesterday, not those numbers, though. I was looking at all the rebounding stuff, which has been pretty catastrophic without Steven Adams. Yeah. So I would have to suggest that the defense has been worse. I'm not 100% if that's accurate, but just thinking aloud. So the net rating with Steven Adams off, you're saying? The net rating with Steven Adams off the court. Uh, I think it'll be about even. I think they're around plus five in the season. I think they're they're, they're even in the regular season because they've still won a lot of games. Yeah, so they are negative 0.1. With Steve, okay. Steven Adams off the court. In the 1,100 minutes Steven Adams has played, they're plus 9.9. It so, is so, okay. an enormous so, difference so for what, them with Steven Adams on the court. So how do you how do you feel about that? Because you're right. So there's two problems here for the Grizzlies. Because if Steven Adams Concern. plays yeah. then the, the, in the postseason, then you're right. There will be teams that will be like, all right, you want to play Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr.? That's not really going to work. Steven Adams is probably the one that goes off. I think everyone agrees with that. But then if they've fallen in this humongous hole without Steven Adams, is that why you've got them so low on this tier, I guess, is the question I'm asking. It is. I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm also a little bit worried that these numbers are like a touch noisier than what you would hope because it's actually the offense that falls off a substantial Mm. amount, not the defense. And I think in part it is because of Steven Adams' immense impact on their offensive rebounding. Steven Adams, when he is on the court, they get 34% of uh their misses when he's off the court they get 24 percent of their misses uh he also has an enormous impact on their defensive rebounding rate which obviously uh impacts their transition attack uh in terms of their offense as well so th- the fact that steven adams has this big of an impact is concerning i will say minutes with jaron jackson on the court steven adams off the court the team is plus 11.6 this year mm-hmm. so there is a case that they can get away playing Jaron Jackson at the five with someone like Brandon Clark, with someone like Santi Aldama. I worry about if they can't even play Steven Adams like 10 to 15 minutes, do they have the depth in terms of matchup potential to be able to really cause problems for opposing teams? I don't know. I, I don't really, I don't really know the answer to that at this point, but I do know that I think they're a little bit easier to stop offensively than what we've even seen in the recent past. And part of that is that the numbers are a little bit skewed. Desmond Bain has missed some time, right? Desmond Bain's so, so critical for their offense. Jaron Jackson obviously missed time early in the season as well. But it feels like to me that when you're in a playoff series, you're basically is going under every John Morant screen, especially when Steven Adams is on the court. You're saying, hey, beat us from three. And I don't know if John Moran can do that yet. Just being real with it. He's gotten better as a shooter. 
I don't know if I trust them to beat teams from three if they just go way under the screen every single time. And if that if it's that easy to stop you when your offense is already a little bit a little bit predictable, maybe in the half court is the way to put it. I worry about what that looks like in a tough series against uh, really, really good shot creators, wing defenders, guys like that. As I said, you've turned me. I want them to go on a long run now because I think the, I do the, too. Long, the longer they go into postseason, the more talk there's going to be. It's going to be better drama. It's going to be all the stuff that we love uh, in the postseason. Yes. Let's face it. We all want to see Jar. We want to see Jar get to the conference finals and we'll get to some of the teams oh, they might face. All there, these dudes. Forget Jar. Right. Like Dylan Brooks, the amount of shit that dude's going to talk. That's What's your Dylan Brooks take? What's your Dylan Brooks take? Because because when you talk about the offense and maybe some of the ways they can be stopped, yeah, the shot selection stuff that everyone talks about. How do you feel about it? I, I don't love it, but yeah. I like it when it goes in. Yes, <laughs> like, like it's weird. Like they they kind of need that dude who's just like a super confident shot creator from the wing to be able to do that when like the clock is running low uh, in half court settings, right? I think they're one guy away still. I do. I think they're a wing shot creator away, which is why, for instance, I loved the idea of them trying to go get Mikhail Bridges, right? Like, I think that they should have offered the world to the Brooklyn Nets. And I think the report was they did offer basically the world to the Brooklyn Nets. I think that's the exact guy that they could have really used. Someone like Mikhail Bridges, I think, makes perfect sense for the Memphis Grizzlies moving forward. But that's their next thing. They need to find the great wing for their roster because without that and with Dylan Brooks being as integral to their late shot clock creation as he is, I obviously have some well-founded, I would say concerns regarding how that's going to look in terms of efficiency in the playoffs. Uh, The number eight team for me is the Dallas Mavericks. And it might look a little bit weird to have the Mavericks ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies, but this team went to the conference finals last year with Luka Doncic. They now have Kyrie Irving, who those two together already look great on offense. They look phenomenal to me. Like the way that that is mixed together has just been perfect. It's the dream of everything that I hoped. Kane, I would imagine to you, that is why they can win the NBA title, right? Yeah. I was going through these teams in the West and, and sometimes because of the stuff that we've said that some of the numbers are really hard to track and guys have missed games and maybe in some instances guys have moved teams. But if you talk about having two guys, so without completely sidetracking us here, one really quick question, because when you talk about having two guys, you just spoke about the Grizzlies. We had the Pelicans below the Grizzlies. So let's just say both those teams are fully healthy. Who do you think can go on a, a deeper run in the postseason? I don't know that it's fair to expect full health from the Pelicans <laughs> at this point. So I just want to say that. Like, I, I, obviously, I have the Grizzlies ahead. I would say the Grizzlies. Yeah. Full health, I would take the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans are a harder matchup problem night in, night out. Plus, they're deeper. I think that they have more high-end talent. We just haven't seen enough of it yet for me to trust it. In, it in theory, I would take the Pelicans. In practice, I think that the Grizzlies are probably more likely. Yeah, agree. And so the reason I, I brought that up just then is because, like, when you're looking at Kyrie and Lucas, so can they win? Of course, yeah, because those two guys are terrifying. The Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, the Phoenix Suns with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So, like, 
that and and Denver with Jokic and Jamal Murray as well. So so that's why if you have at least two guys, the question becomes like, what does depth matter? And we had yeah. uh, Tim Tim McMahon, uh, Tim McMahon on one of our shows last week, and he said we we obviously from an Australian perspective, we got into the Josh Green stuff. He's he's yep. made a real leap this year. He's been fantastic. The Dorian Finney-Smith trade obviously opens up room for Josh Green to come into the lineup, start, play major minutes. He'll be getting those defensive assignments because Dallas is not a good defensive team. But the way Tim put it, I think, was perfect. He said, Josh Green is the third best player on the Mavericks right now. And that's great. That shows how Josh Green right. has, has risen. It shows that he's going to make a, a heap of money. And he now gets to do stuff that he just simply couldn't do in the past. But is it the best thing for the Dallas Mavericks? Eh, maybe not if you're entering the postseason. So then it comes to the question of you can have superstar talent. They've got a superstar duo. But what does depth mean in the postseason? I don't think it means that much past your sixth or seventh player. But when you get to your third player and you're like, ah, oh, there's a bit of a drop off here. I think that's where the concern obviously starts. Where depth matters in the playoffs to me is in terms of matchups, right? Being mm-hmm. able to find different mismatches, being able to find different marginal advantages while minimizing the marginal advantages that opposing teams can create for you. This is why, to me, the most important Dallas Maverick right now is Maxi Kleba. Right. Uh, all due respect, to, I mean, look, Luka Doncic is obviously the most important Dallas Maverick. Yeah. Kyrie is incredibly important, but the swing guy for them, the X factor for them, so to speak, is Maxi Kleba because Maxi Kleba is an absolutely terrific defender who also can knock down corner threes at a really high level. He's an incredibly important piece for them because he's a two-way player on a roster that doesn't really have them anymore. Like Luka Doncic, when he's locked in, he's actually pretty okay defensively. Like I think he'll be fine in the playoffs Kyrie, there are moments where he's okay defensively, but he's just small and can be taken advantage of in terms of mismatches that way. Christian Wood can't defend. We just need to be real about that. Like, just not a good defensive player. Uh, it's it's hard when your top three guys are not plus defenders in some way. So then you have to go down the roster. Like, Reggie Bullock has had a pretty good year offensively. He's been okay defensively. Uh you know, Maxi Kleba has missed a ton of time. He played their first 22 games. Josh Green has been a good defender this year. He's energetic. He's athletic. He gets up and down in transition. I think he's a great transition partner for Kyrie when Kyrie tries to push the pace. I don't know. How do you feel about Josh Green having to guard like the opposing team's best player in the playoffs night in, night out? I think he does a better job on like, guards and like smaller wings than he does on like you know bigger guys like Kawhi Leonard Paul George um you know you you can go up and down the list in terms of some of the guys they could run into in the west I'm, I'm a little bit worried about how Josh Green looks in those settings for as good as Josh Green has been this year and he's been great over his last 12 games he's been like utterly critical to what they've done he's averaging like 13 points uh four rebounds, three assists, 1.5 turnovers, shooting 52% from the field, 37% from three, like enormous player. The leap that he's taken has been huge and probably allowed them to feel okay about moving Dorian Finney-Smith. But when you lose Dorian Finney-Smith, you lose the guy that can guard up the lineup. And that's what worries me. Yeah, I I totally get the trade. I understand why they did it. I think it does make them more more dangerous because – yeah, even still, they would have still had problems with depth. 
they still would have had the questions about the big man. So now you at least have another superstar in the lineup. And we've seen them have some close games with those two down the stretch, and they're still going to figure some stuff out. But I always just have concerns when when you look at, again, the better teams, it's like, well, you need guys that can defend two through four in the postseason. And when you're relying on guys that, you know, uh, for the most part, get their, their their stuff done on the defensive end and their minimal players on offense, I just think that it limits you. It's hard for me to look at the Dallas Mavericks and put them in the same category as some of the other teams we're about to get to, which is probably why you've got them on your tier list here. So I think they're dangerous. I think they'll be scary to play in a series because of those two guys, but it would need to be one hell of a run for those two guys for them to get to the the conference finals and beyond. Yeah, so like their their best lineup in the playoffs, my bet, is going to be Kyrie and Luka with Josh Green, Reggie Bullock, and Maxi Kleba. And then they use Christian Wood in big moments. You know, he plays 25 minutes a night and just hope that he doesn't get played off the court defensively, right? There are probably ways that you can actualize Christian Wood to be able to do that. And having him with Kyrie and with Luca, who are real pick and pop partners, real pick and roll partners, it's going to be really hard to stop Christian Wood in the playoffs on offense. He just needs to not give away as many points as he's scoring and – We'll see. There are moments where he locks in and things go okay. He's a big he's a big factor for them. We'll see. But I think Maxi is a bigger factor for them. They they don't have the the Kings don't have the star power. But if you just look at the profile offense defense, they're yeah. they, they're Kingsy. They're Kingsy. They are a little bit Kingsy. I think they have a little bit more just in terms of defense than the Kings do. The defensive upside maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's close. You're you're right. It is close. Okay. Number seven for me now. The Los Angeles Clippers. I have it seven. This team has moved up into the top four in the West right before the All-Star break. Everyone is so close, so it almost doesn't matter. But this this formula is pretty simple in terms of why they can win the title, right? It's you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George mixed with the top 10 defense. Yep. And just quietly, Kawhi has played 28 out of the last 36 games. The minutes with Paul George, predictably very good. We know they can defend, but uh, offensively, uh, the offensive rating is 121 uh, with those two on the floor. Now it's been around 700 minutes. I don't think they really care where the minutes are entering the postseason as long as they play some games heading in there. So they're on the right path. So that's obviously uh, why the Clippers can win the title. They remind me, and I don't know how many Australians you've got uh, listening to this podcast, Sam, but... If anyone has any like idea about the NBL, there's a team, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, that are always a theoretical team. Now, they're terrible defensively, so it's not a perfect comparison. But they are the team that I always, every season, get tricked into thinking, I think they can win the title. And they never do. Yeah. And so I'm like that with the Clippers. Love them. Questionable some of the stuff they've done in the last week, which I'm sure we'll get to. But the Kawhi and Paul George, theoretical superstar duo can win you a title no doubt yeah so they're a plus 10.5 in those minutes that Kawhi and Paul George have played which is enormous like Mm -hmm. you can trust those two when they're on the court to be great obviously there's the when they're on the court factor and that's enormous with Kawhi can Kawhi consistently play every single night in the playoffs I think he'll try at the very least and I think there's a good chance he can what worries me with them is their offense just gets so stagnant and it just gets so ball stoppery. And I, this is where the Russell Westbrook thing comes in, what huh. you just alluded to. 
I understand the theory of why the players on this team think that they need someone that can push up tempo, right? I, I get it on some level because this team can go very slow and having someone that can push the pace and try and create easy offense for them would be valuable. The problem for me is more in the half court that they're very stagnant. They just really, really don't move the ball at all. It's why Terrence Mann, I think, has been awesome as like the quote-unquote starting point guard for them because he keeps the ball moving. He's completely unselfish in a way that they desperately need from someone at that position. Maybe Russell Westbrook comes in and he's been humbled in some way by his experience with the Lakers and playing with a very close friend of his in Paul George, continuing to get to live at home in Los Angeles, which I think really matters to him getting to play in front of his, basically his people right in Los Angeles. He does have like a very real fan base in that city, regardless of how it went. Like he's a personal fan base in that city, even though the Lakers didn't, did not go well. So I get it. All of this to say is I do get it for, from them in terms of their perspective of why they thought this could make sense. I just think that it's going to be too ball stoppery and they're probably going to end up riding with guys like Eric Gordon, uh, you know, guys like Terrence Mann at the end of the day in the playoffs when the big possessions come down to it, just because that's what's going to be uh, a little bit more functional to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard the ball. Yeah, that, that'll be the question. And I would love a, a, particularly because he's gone from the Lakers to the Clippers, I would love a Westbrook redemption tour here and they go on a run. It would I mean, be the would coolest be story. It'd be the coolest story in the NBA, I think. It would be really, really fun. So I I would love to see it. Uh, But they also made a trade for Plumlee, which, by the way, I I don't mind. Like, you got to have, you know, we've seen games with the Clippers as well where Zubats is is found out or he's unable to play for some reason. They just had nothing behind it. So I get it. Like, that's fine to bring in another center. But the problem is no Reggie Jackson, no Kennard, shooters as well. And then you bring in the Westbrook. And if you're going to play Westbrook, in, in theory, if you have Zubats on the floor, maybe it's Plumley. You're always going to have two non-shooters that the defense isn't isn't too worried about. Now, can Westbrook do some stuff in pick and roll? Will he ever be a screener? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether that's going to happen. He's not on the huge contract anymore, but I highly doubt. I've heard some people say, "Well, it's a no-risk move. They can just cut him." I mean, I, I don't. I do not see that happening this close to the postseason. So they're going to ride this yeah. out. What disruption does that have? Who knows? Yeah, and look, I, I don't see that happening just because I think that Paul George and Russell Westbrook right. are close, and yeah. that that's just that's just not the way this works. This is a move that will it'll be a part of their story here moving forward. Uh, to me, their best line, like if you want to try and actualize Russ, their best lineup is probably Russ, Norman Powell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Marcus Morris, and mm-hmm. that takes Avita Zubats off the court. It makes them a worse defensive team. Does that work? I don't really know. I'm not totally sure. Maybe you can try and play. Uh, you can try and play Terrence Mann instead of Norman Powell to get a little bit more defensive uh, ability on the court. Maybe you can try and play Robert Covington a little bit, but his shooting has been very hit or miss over the last few years. I don't know. I think that it's going to be hard. I think that they're going to end up having to really play uh, a lot of lineups with Eric Gordon. And Terrence Mann at the one it, or Norman Powell. You could even play like Powell, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, 
Zubats and Morris, maybe like there, there are ways to make it work. It's just going to be very complicated. I think the Plumley move, I think they just needed 12 minutes a night. They needed 12 mm-hmm. minutes a night for a backup center, someone that can run dribble handoff, someone who can provide instant uh, rim running and dexterity offensively. Makes sense to me. Right. Um, Eric Gordon might be big for them. And I, I frankly don't know how much Eric Gordon yeah. has left in the tank based off of his stint in Houston. I think he'll be happier. I mean, uh, some of those press conferences have been been pretty classic <laughs> over the last year or two with Eric Gordon. I'm happy for him, man. I'm happy for him that he got out of there. He's going to play some playoff basketball. But they've got a bunch of guys. So I guess maybe that's the point. While I'm focusing on having, you know, maybe two non-shooters on the floor, you might be right. They, they can mix and match. They, they can figure some things out. And who are the guys in the West? I mean, Jokic, obviously, but... It's not like there's an Embiid and a Giannis that, you know, maybe they can go small. Maybe that's maybe that's the way they do go. Yeah, I think they can theoretically go small as long as against the Nuggets, they'll have to go bigger. But the Nuggets don't, you know, they have Aaron Gordon, but do you trust KCP against one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard? That's what it's going to come down to on some level, right? Maybe that can work. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. Um, let's go to number six. I have the Warriors at number six still. This is a team that has not been great this season. They're 29 and 29. This team also won the title last year in Stephen Curry's games so far this season. They're still only like 20 and 18, which is a little bit bizarre, but it just feels like they're kind of biding their time till the playoffs, right? I don't have them in the top tier. It, that feels like my concession to the fact that they've sucked this year for the most part but I do trust that they're going to get there again and get that intensity back when the playoffs roll around. Every time I listen to someone talk about the Warriors, it's kind of like, yeah, I think that they can figure it out. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll work it out. They'll get there. They're the champs. And I totally understand that, but you would like to see something before we get to the postseason. And we've only got 20 games left because right across the board, you've got the weird home road splits they are just basically a zero net rating. I think it's it's point one. Uh, so they've just been absolutely a five hundred team. And Steph's only played you know in the thirties for games. They've Jordan Poole has played more minutes than anyone, which is you know, interesting. He hasn't had a great you know shooting season. Clay Thompson hasn't had a great shooting season. But when Steph has played and he's been healthy, he was right in the MVP mix and still absolutely looks like he's in his prime. So. Sometimes it's pretty simple. Why can they win? They've got the experience. They've got the veteran guys. They won it last year when all season long, I didn't necessarily think they were a team that was going to go and win the title. So we've got that in our memory. That's why we think we can win it. But all season long, we've seen a team that has been absolutely middle of the pack. And there's reasons why. They haven't got the the boost from the younger guys that I think that they were hoping for. And some people probably talked themselves into uh, so I, I think that is a little bit of a concern. Like, where where is the end for this? I'm not 100% sure. But Steph, if he can stay healthy, he still looks like he's in his prime. Yeah, like, the big question for me is how often do these teams that, you know, basically just kind of flounder along during the regular season, how often do they find a way to turn it on? Like, mm-hmm. I've heard people bring up the 2017 and 2018 Cavs teams under Mm -hmm. Ty Lue, like the two years after they won the title, those teams still won 50 games. Like those teams were actually like a little bit better than what I think people remember. It's hard to find examples of teams that 
generally really, really struggled throughout the regular season and then just decide, oh, yeah, you know what? We're just going to turn it on. It's all going to be good. We're, we're going to be fine. That's the case against this team. The case for them is that they have Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry is unbelievable. Uh, Stephen Curry was in the midst of one of his best seasons of his career before his injury. Uh, he's averaging 29 points, six rebounds, six assists, while shooting 49.5 from the field, 43 from three on 11 attempts per game, and 92% from the line. That That's just insane. Like, can you imagine being able to do that, Kane? <laughs> Well, no, uh, it's going to surprise you, but no, I can't imagine being able to do that. And and he probably should be shooting more. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, he's finally like really just like gone nuts. He's just like yeah. jacking up threes. Like it's crazy. I mean, you know, look, I think the craziest year was, what was it? It was, um, uh, it was the, the year that he led the league in scoring. I think it was 21, right? Uh, I think he jacked up like 13 or 12 a game or something mm-hmm. insane. He's not quite at that level yet, but I think that that's where we're going with this team. And they're still a really hard matchup with their best five on the court. Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, one of Kevon Looney or Jordan Poole, depending on the matchup. I think that it is really, really hard to match up with that team. I think it's going to be really, really hard to try and manage. Like to me, like that's the team that worries me most for the Suns almost. Uh, is them just because they have multiple big bodies. They can throw at guys like Devin Booker, like Kevin Durant. Then they have the help defense potentially with Kevon Looney, who can also match up with DeAndre Ayton and frustrate him with offensive rebounds. Like if I was the Suns, that's probably the team I would want to most avoid weirdly. But if I was a team like, uh, you know, like Memphis or something like that, I might just think I can like drive it down their throat all game. And that might be wrong, but I felt like Memphis matched up with them pretty well in the playoffs last year. So it's going to be interesting. As much as they've been a 500 team, three and a half games back of the Kings in the third seed, and as we've gone through all these teams, that's why we've had some of the Western Conference teams below the the Warriors because the only teams, even though we say there's concern, even though we say, well, geez, you'd like to see something before you get to the postseason, the only teams for me, which sounds like it matches up with what you've got, that I categorically say, I think these teams are ahead of them right now are the Nuggets and the Suns. So through all this, the Western Conference has been such a such a mess that they're actually still right there. They just need to rip off yeah. a little bit of a run here, get Steph Curry back healthy. And the other point is Wiggins was another one of the guys that was the bridge and was so important in the NBA Finals last year. And he's only played 37 games as well. So the, these guys have just missed a lot of games. And as, as far as the data... I don't know. What what does the road stuff mean? Is this just an old team that can't be bothered on the road? Like like what we, I mean, it to be twenty two and seven at home and seven and twenty two on the road. I think the Philadelphia seventy sixers did this around twenty eighteen, nineteen, something like that, where their road splits. But that felt more like I'm not sure if this team likes each other. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, that was the last year of Brett Brown, I think, and it was just a lot of stuff going on. For the Warriors, I don't necessarily think it's that. I think it might be just like some sort of weird veteran team struggling through the grind of the regular season. Yeah, and look, like it's also very possible the Gary Payton addition could be very helpful for them if he can Mm -hmm. get healthy, uh, especially late in the season, especially in the playoffs. We saw what kind of difference maker he can be on the defensive end just in terms of energy uh, during that season. But let's move on to this top tier here, this top group of NBA potential champions. I'm going to upset Denver fans, but I have Denver at number five. I know that they're first in the West. I currently have three teams 
in the East ahead of them. And I have one team in the West ahead of them. I love watching Nikola Jokic. I don't think Nikola Jokic is their problem in the playoffs. If you look at his track record of success, it's unbelievable. His numbers go up in the playoffs consistently. He has been awesome in the playoffs. That dude, I have full faith in him. It's kind of everything else. Jamal Murray's coming back. He's looked greater over the course of this last little stretch before the All-Star break. That's big. But Michael Porter Jr. might not be a part of their best lineups and their closing lineups at times. Aaron Gordon's been phenomenal. I, I really trust Aaron Gordon. Uh, but, like, do they have enough defensive depth? Like, they have two guys that I really, truly trust on defense. in Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Bruce Brown can be effective defensively but Bruce Brown is a non-shooter and if you put both he and Aaron Gordon on the court I worry the teams will just kind of condense the court a little bit when Jokic is in that mid-range area and try to make him a little bit uh, less efficient than what we've seen throughout the course of the season he's an incredibly difficult guard it might not matter at this point he might just be a cheat code but I think that's why that's my worry on why they might not be able to win the title I don't know that they have enough defensive depth I thought what they desperately needed to do at the deadline was just go and get more defensive depth. Go and get guys that can be two-way players. They didn't do it. They went out and got Thomas Bryant. Yeah, which which is funny because everyone's like, well, yeah, I mean, they, they needed, you know, how many minutes can Jokic play in the postseason? Is he going to play 45 minutes a game and then you go small? I, I don't know. I mean, I you can't I play Thomas really... Bryant in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> well, th- that's right. I-, I saw I saw the stuff about DeAndre Jordan. It's like, well, let's be honest. That didn't really matter. That wasn't a, a big picture problem for this team, regardless. Regular season, obviously, it's been disastrous. The reason they can win it, you mentioned Jamal Murray, and we're kind of on the same page here. The reason they can win it, last 15 games, he's been awesome. 28 points, eight assists. The shooting splits are outrageous, 52-43-90. So he's been crazy over his last 15 games. And... uh I have him as the reason they can win it because they need someone to come along for the ride with, with Jokic because I already expect that Jokic is going to do what he's going to do. Defensively, the half-court stuff is where I had. So I totally agree with you. But 20th in half-court defense, uh, this per clean in the glass. And it's only going to, it only feels like it's going to get worse in the postseason. Again, I keep talking about these two players, but Dallas, Clippers, Phoenix, if you get that matchup, I'm just like, man, I, I, this is this is really tough. I, I don't know whether they have enough guys that can defend those positions that I can trust across the series, uh, across seven games in the half court, when it's already been a problem through the regular season. It has. I mean, look, if you look at their overall numbers, they're 13th in defensive rating, but they really drop off when you take one of Contavious Caldwell-Pope or Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. off the court. It becomes much more difficult. They're at like 118 or so, I believe, if you take one of those two off the court. And part of that is that, like, when you take one of those two off the court, you're typically replacing them with like Bones Highland or something like that, right? It's hard. That that's really really hard to do. Uh, Bones Highland was really really bad defensively for them. DeAndre Jordan was really bad defensively for them early on in the season as well. I don't know. I just worry about them being too easy to match up with, too too easy to force difficult mismatch issues for in the playoffs. But it it might not matter if Jamal Murray is back to being Jamal Murray and being as good as we think that he can be prior to his injuries. He might be great. I mean, you look at his last 13 games, he averaged 26 points, seven assists, five rebounds. It was ridiculous. He was shooting 44% from three. (laughs) Missed those last few games before the All-Star break. But, man, 
has he been good? He has been unbelievable. I thought I was curious as the season wore on and heading into the trade deadline and we saw the Jay Crowder stuff and I'm sure we'll talk about him a bit later, but you know, even a guy like that, that, did, that didn't cost a lot, you know, would have been at least helpful to have, to have another body for this team for some of those matchups. Is it something that really tilts the scale in a title? I don't know, probably not. But having another one of those guys you could put out defensively could have helped. Um, I'm not sure if they're involved in that at all. Reggie Jackson, any excitement? I see I see in the comments here we've got a Reggie Jackson. I think, again, you talk about the Bones Highland stuff, and I'm not saying they're the same player, but if you play him alongside Jawal Murray, I, I think, again, you still obviously have some defensive concerns. I agree. Uh, I'm, you know, Reggie Jackson is was not very good this year, and maybe he can be a little bit better. He's probably a little bit better in terms of like a backup point guard option, but mm-hmm. actually kind of sneaky like the lineups they've used with like Bruce Brown as that option. I think that's yep. been pretty fun is like him being kind of a pseudo lead initiator at times. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they look like. Uh, they're a great team. They're a great offensive team, an unbelievable yeah. offensive team. They just need to prove that they have the defensive depth. They could absolutely win the title. That's why they're in the top tier of contenders. I think I trust a team like the Philadelphia 76ers a little bit more. I think the 76ers are a great defensive team. They are currently top five in the NBA in defense. Uh, they are top 10 in offensive rating. They have Joel Embiid, who is arguably the most dominant shot creator for himself in the NBA. He's averaging 33 points a game. He's been critical for them defensively. In the minutes where he's played defensively, they're just phenomenal. Uh, 20 points per game from Tyrese Maxey. And then on top of it, you have James Harden being able to sink back just a little amount and not be so relied upon in the playoffs, which I think is going to be absolutely enormous for him in terms of his efficiency, in terms of his overall uh, just competence in the playoffs. They're going to have to prove that they can defend on the perimeter as much as anything. Guys like Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench, James Harden doesn't have a great defensive track record in the playoffs. They're going to have to prove that they can make it work in ball screens that ball screen defense isn't just going to be a sieve for them. But man, I I don't know, man. Like I, I I love this team. I think that, I think everyone is kind of sleeping on them a little bit. Yeah, probably me too. And they obviously went on a run uh, lately here. And, and I think Harden has had an underrated season. I know he wasn't too happy about not making the all-star game, but defensively they can be elite. Their best five, I think has pretty good balance, better than it did last year. You put Maxi in there with Harden and Embiid. I like when Harris can be your fourth guy rather than be your second or third. You feel a lot better about that. And then PJ Tucker. The only thing I'll say is Tucker's probably, and I say this every year, and I've said this for the last three years, so maybe I should just get over it, but it feels like he's had to play a lot. Like he has played a lot of minutes this year. If he has another postseason run in them, then because I think he's going to be key because he unlocks a lot of the stuff you're talking about you go back to a couple of years to the title. He was actually defending guards. He was out on the perimeter. So does he have that in him at 37 years old? I'm not sure. But that that, that will be a big key for him uh, and for the Sixers defensively. Think about it, Mute. I did. Uh, yes. He has been, <laughs> PJ Tucker's been a total zero offensively for them this year. Yes, season, absolutely. Which is a problem. And... If they can get enough from him defensively to keep him on the court in terms of being like that mismatch guy that like he's stopping the opposing star player every night, 
maybe they can get enough. I'm, uh, you know, it, it's tough because I liked what Tobias Harris did in the playoffs last year, kind of sneakily. Mm-hmm. Like I thought he got better defensively, uh, but you can't have him be the guy that's the stopper, right? You can't have him be the main guy. I thought he did a good job on uh, Pascal Siakam last year. But, like, you can't have him be the main stopper, right? I I just don't think that works for him. Yeah, and as we've seen, and we've seen this over the years, and I see someone comment in in the stream that they've got a lot to prove. And I think that that's also part of it. And there was a comment that Embiid made recently where he's like, I just want to get through the postseason healthy and not have one of these crazy injuries. And he gets these random illnesses and gets hit in the face and all this kind of stuff. So... Again, if we're talking about reasons why they can't win it or reasons why teams are sleeping on them, it's because they haven't been able to it's because they haven't been able to prove it. They haven't even got out of the second round. And if you look at the way the standings are matching up right now, the Sixers would be on a collision course with the Bucks in the second round. This has been a series that everyone has kind of looked at and thought maybe they would match up in the postseason at some point. They haven't yet though. But I would say the Sixers, I think would like the matchup against the Bucs. I think that they would like the Embiid stuff. I know the Bucs are, are an elite defensive team, but if you got Milwaukee and Philadelphia in the second round, how are you feeling about that? Because I do think historically the Sixers-Celtics matchup is is maybe one that concerns them a little bit more than Milwaukee. What do I think of Milwaukee? I kind of think that as long as P.J. Tucker can at least manage tough physical minutes on Giannis. Yeah, I yeah. I think that they have the kind of team that is tougher for Milwaukee to deal with because Joel Embiid is that backline center is huge. Like having Joel being able to, that's how you have to guard Giannis. You have to have the guy who can body up with him just right at the start. And then you have to have the backline secondary defensive player who can protect the rim and make it a one-on-two scenario. And Giannis is going to win that one-on-two a good amount of the time, right? Because that's who he is. But yeah, I I mean, I'll be honest with you. I I have Philly and Milwaukee neck and neck, and we can talk about Mm -hmm. Milwaukee now because I have Milwaukee at number three. And man, it really just all comes down to knowing whether or not Chris Middleton is going to be that dude for me. Like we started to get it just a little bit right before the all-star break, didn't we? We started to get it just a small amount before the all-star break where we saw Chris Middleton start to come into his own a little bit more with him, with the way that they're playing right now, they've won their last 12 games. They've been phenomenal with him, with the run that they're on, man, I I think that they can win the title for sure. And I think they probably, I don't know. Would you have them as the favorite? If you knew for sure that Chris Middleton was going to be at 100%? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, right there with Boston. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right there with, with Boston. If it was in a perfect world. But if it's in a perfect world, then you probably think Phoenix is is higher as well. And I know we'll obviously get to the Phoenix Suns. So the problem for the Bucks all season has been offense. Uh, they haven't been good anywhere on offense. Their transition stuff hasn't even been good, which is hard to believe. With Giannis in the lineup, the half-court stuff has been horrific. So... A lot of that, you pin it down and say, well, Middleton hasn't been there. He's only played 17 games. But as far as his scoring, the three-point shot hasn't come back. I think he's at around 28%. Um, but You think he, that'll be fine, though, right? Like, I think he'll so. He'll shoot I mean, eventually. He's got such a flat shot as it is. Maybe there's some leg stuff there. 
but yeah, if they're healthy, I think they're better positioned this year for a Boston matchup than they were last year because obviously you're adding Chris Milton. They added Jay Crowder, yet to be determined what he has to bring to the table, but it's another body. And then Joe Ingles, I, I, look, he hasn't been great defensively, but he has added something to the offensive half-court stuff, particularly pick yeah. and roll, incorporating some different guys. So I, I just think they have a yeah. better mix this year, if healthy. Well, sneakily, kind of similar to the conversation we had about the Clippers, this is an offense that like stagnates pretty regularly yeah. Yeah. without Chris Middleton, right? Like they have the bailout option that is Giannis is impossible to stop point blank. So you can just give him the ball, you know, 16 feet away from the rim and he'll probably get to the rim, right? That's an option that the Clippers, instead of that, it's we'll give the ball to Paul George or Kawhi 28 feet away from the rim and have them shoot a mid-range jumper or pull up three. And the Giannis stuff is just more efficient at this point, right? Now, <laughs> again, do they have enough shot? It really comes down to shot creation for me. Like being able to find different shot creators outside of Giannis. If, you know, Chris Middleton not being helped, like Chris Middleton is their guy. He is, he is like almost the marginal cheat code for them that makes it work. Like Drew Holiday has had a great year. Do you trust him in the playoffs if he has to like be the primary perimeter option as an on-ball threat? Well, the problem with Drew Holiday, I mean, historically, even in the in the championship run, he was not great offensively. He had decent moments, but his shooting was not great and well down on the regular season. I think part of the yeah. problem is in the postseason, you're asking him to do so much defensively. Yeah, and, uh, and no, I think that takes right. a toll. So it's no, absolutely I mean, right. This team doesn't have a, a point guard a true point guard. So there are just some, some complexities with trying to get the offense, the half-court offense ticking. They can be seriously turnover prone because Giannis Drew and Chris can all give the ball away, which has been a problem yeah. as well. So the big question is the offense and the why they can win it is obviously Giannis, but they're also yeah. absolutely elite defensively. Well, they lose the turnover battle just badly. Every night, yeah, right? Because yeah. their defense, like, it's just not what their defense is based on. They don't try and force turnovers. They try and play very solid and steady and drop and try and, you know, just keep everything in front of them. Uh, and then, of course, as you said, like, Giannis averages four turnovers a game. Drew, Drew Holiday averages three turnovers a game, right? So it, it gets a little bit tricky from time to time. What do you think of this team's depth? Because th- that is almost the critical thing for me outside of Middleton can they find the right mix of guys to get 48 minutes basically from two positions right they have to get 96 minutes from a mix of Pat Connaughton I I guess Bobby Portis will play some of those minutes Joe Ingles might play some of those minutes um like Marjan Beauchamp is he an option like I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to find the right. It's hard to find all of the minutes they need to make. I think that they looked at the series with Boston last year and, and I'll be honestly pretty strong on, look, I think Grayson Allen has gotten better. I think that he's had a pretty good season, but there is also going to be the thing while last year, because they didn't have Middleton, because they didn't have Ingles, Crowder, all these guys, all of a sudden you got Grayson Allen trying to defend Tatum and Brown and it's just not going to end well. So I think they're in a better position for purely the Boston series, but the guard depth is not great. And Javon Carter, he's a pretty good, you know, he'll defend full court, 
but he doesn't have the size. So again, it's challenging yeah. against Boston that is going to be big throughout. And then the other question is, you got to have concern about who's behind Brook Lopez. Bobby Portis is there, but we saw in previous years he didn't play in a series against Boston. He was he was unplayable yeah. defensively. So I think that they've they've really loaded up in the sort of two to four position, or really three to four position. I think they can yeah. play small with Giannis with different guys, but the guard depth and really no backup behind Brook Lopez is still cause for some concern, I would say. Yeah, and of course, like, Brooke is the guy we probably haven't talked enough about within this conversation because Brooke has been great this year. He has been absolutely phenomenal on defense. He will be a top three finalist for defensive player of the year, I would think. Offensively, he's been efficient, is the way to put it. 51% from the field, 37% from three, taking five threes a game now, which is big. (laughs) It's really, really going to come down to matchups like the thing that we didn't really talk about is Milwaukee's defense against Philadelphia's offense when we talked about those two teams in comparison to one another Brooke Lopez is one of the ideal guys that you would want to have on Joel Embiid for the most part at least to make his life harder so that's one place where this could be really really beneficial those I I really do that that might be the series I want most in the playoffs if I'm being completely honest I think I want Milwaukee and Philadelphia to play. I, I think that is what I need. I, I need to see those two teams best on best. Just let it rock. I, I need to see it. And they don't really like each other. They've had some yeah. pretty fiery matchups over the last few years, and they just haven't been able to have this collision course. We thought we were going to get it in 2021, and then Atlanta beat the Sixers, and that was probably the conference finals everyone wanted to see. So, yeah, again, it looks like they're on course to play each other, but we've thought that before, so we'll see. But yeah, the Embiid and and uh, and Brook Lopez stuff would be interesting. The interesting thing with Boston, and I don't know when we're going to get to Boston. You haven't told me whether they're two or one. We will see. Boston is not next, but we okay. can talk about them now. Just because of the Rob Williams stuff with Boston and Milwaukee is also interesting because in a lot of ways, Boston, you can make the case, to me at least, are better off not playing Rob Williams against the Bucks because then it, be- then it becomes difficult to have Brook Lopez on the floor. And without Brook Lopez on the floor, the Bucks are very vulnerable. Yeah. Like you can go with Horford, you can go with Grant Williams. And to me, that's more problematic than Rob Williams. Yeah, I agree with you on that for what it's worth. But we'll talk about Boston here momentarily. The number two team is the Phoenix Suns for me. I think this Suns team is just going to be impossible to stop on offense. I, I actually don't see a way that it's going to work. Uh Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul as your three guys that can score on pull-ups from 25 feet and in. They can all shoot off the catch. They can all shoot off the dribble. They are all elite at getting to the exact spot that they want. Man, the fact that defenses have to find a way to guard all three of those guys, that's what feels impossible to me. Like, Instead of Devin Booker getting the best defender night after night after night, like he's gotten for years upon years in Phoenix, he's now getting the second best defender night after night. That trickle-down effect for Kevin Durant is real. As I talked about on the show that I did when the Kevin Durant deal occurred originally, the trickle-down effect with Kevin Durant helping his teammates get better 
is very real. He's not seen as a guy that's like a super high level passer playmaker, but he is seen as a guy that because of the attention he draws, it makes things so much easier for everybody else on the roster. Man, that, that team's going to be hard to stop. I agree. And everyone in the East is happy that Kevin Durant got the hell out of there because no one wanted to see him in the postseason anyway. So, yeah, offensively, that team uh, is going to be crazy. And the trickle-down effect goes all the way to CP3 as well. If he's your third best player, all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good because you're concerned about, yeah. like, they're head to score and stuff. And, you know, we've seen Mikel Bridges and he's gone off at least in just a couple of games we've seen in Brooklyn. So could he have brought more to the table offensively? Potentially. But if you look at the Clippers and you're like, okay, well, we get stagnant because we've got Paul George and we've got Kawhi Leonard. In Phoenix, first of all, we've seen Kevin Durant work in Golden State. So you're not all that worried about that kind of stuff anyway. But now you've got Chris Paul, who he had 18, 19 assists the other night. Like, how much fun is Chris Paul going to have playing with these two guys in this offense? It's going to be crazy. And then DeAndre Ayton's probably going to be throwing down lobs left, right, and center because everyone's so concerned about Durant and, and Booker on the wing. So... Offensively, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I agree well, with you. DeAndre Ayton should be able to walk in to 18 points a night, just Man. running in transition and catching lobs. It, it just like literally run hard to the rim every time. That's it. If DeAndre does that, he's going to walk into 18 points and 10 rebounds a night with this team because there's just no attention on him now. There is zero attention. You, you Okay, let's say he runs hard to the rim. Defense has to collapse. Wide open Kevin Durant three, maybe a wide open Devin Booker three, if you have them on the same side of where the help has to come from. That's that's the ball game. Like that, that's kind of what it comes down to. Like if you can if DeAndre Ayton is just willing to run hard to the rim every time, he's either going to be wide open for a lob because he can high point the ball better than anybody, he's stronger than everybody, or he is just going to, you know be wide open at the rim or create a shot for his teammates. It's pretty simple. Like a basketball, basketball can be a simple game when you have Chris Paul running ball screens next to Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And Oh, by the way, if that ball screen action doesn't work, Oh, we'll just throw the ball to Kevin Durant in the mid post. He's shooting 60% from the mid range this year. He's <laughs> shooting 60% from the mid range. It's a fucking layup for him. It's unbelievable. I, I don't think we have ever seen an offense that has this much playoff potential since that Warriors team, since that Kevin Durant Warriors team with all of the spacing with Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry with Kevin Durant, this team's going to be almost impossible to stop. I think. So why can't they win it? Uh, health, obviously people who have concern, you need to see it. it. In, in theory, this is awesome. Uh, the only question I have for you is uh, in terms of their so Aiton is obviously in their, in their best five. Let's just say they want to go small, uh, as as you know most teams do. Who who sure. you have in that uh, in that five for Phoenix? Uh, you go Chris Paul, Devin Booker, maybe you know Terrence Ross with Kevin Durant and Tory Craig or Josh Okoge instead of Terrence Ross. If you want to go like super perimeter defense with. You know, Kevin Durant's had a really great defensive year. Uh, I've talked about that a lot on the show. I think he's been terrific this year. Uh, Akogi has been pretty good leading into the All-Star break. Torrey Craig is a good defender. I think that they can make it work in that mm-hmm. way. 
But here's the other thing, too. Like, DeAndre Ayton gives them the size that they need to match up against guys like Nikola Jokic, who, if you remember, the last time those two played in the playoffs, DeAndre Ayton weirdly won that battle. Like, DeAndre Ayton, like, outplayed Nikola Jokic in a playoff series. I don't know how that happened, but he did. And it was, like, the strangest thing I think I can remember the year that the Suns made the finals, but it did happen. And at the very least, if DeAndre Ayton can slow down Nikola Jokic, they win that series. Like, I think they win that series pretty easily. So with all that being said, you clearly have, I don't know whether it's the path to the NBA Finals, I don't know whether it's the individual matchup, but you clearly like what Boston has potentially if you got to that, that point. I think Boston is the hardest. I think Boston has the best ability to force mismatches against you while also minimizing mismatches on their own side because of how mobile they are, because of how well spaced the floor is consistently. They can throw out lineups like Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. They can throw out super small lineups where you replace Horford with Grant Williams in that circumstance. You have Malcolm Brogdon as another big body uh, point guard, essentially, that you can throw in that way. This team, I know that depth has been like a thing for them, but if they're at full strength, they're deeper than anybody in terms of the way that they can cause mismatch problems in the playoffs, particularly once benches shorten a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think Boston should still be the favorite. I do. Because they, they just cause too many problems. And, and here's the other thing, too. And, and I'll ask you this. So, with the Suns, my thought was I can come up with reasons why the Suns won't win the title. Health. I think the chemistry is going to be fine. Kevin Durant has played with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker in Olympics before, separate Olympics. But like, I think there's going to be some synergy and chemistry there, even just beyond Kevin Durant being like the most unselfish superstar that you'll find just in terms of like touches and everything. I can't really like give you a full ironclad case why Boston can't win the title. I think that like Robert Williams, maybe not being on the court makes their defense a little bit worse. I I would, this is what I wanted to ask you. What is your case for why Boston can't win the title? Cause mine feel very nitpicky in a way that it doesn't feel as nitpicky for Phoenix. I I don't know, man. I mean, you can, cause, cause the problem is Rob Williams missed the first part of the season and the defense was still great. I mean, you've already pointed to the guys they can go small with. You can play uh, Horford at the five and the, so, which actually creates more problems for teams that they might face in the postseason. Again, namely Milwaukee. How does that look against Philly? I'm not sure, but Rob Williams plays in that series. And then you've got some pretty handy backup. The guard stuff, Marcus Smart obviously has been huge for this team, but they got Brogdon for not much. Derek White is now an Eastern Conference Player of the Week somehow. I mean, all this all this shit has just like continued to happen. So I don't really have a reason why they can't win it, other than they run into Milwaukee and Giannis, and Giannis averages forty and twenty. Yeah. Or they play the Phoenix Suns, and we've already spoken about the offensive stuff, and they can be as good as they want defensively, but the Suns might just be better offensively. But they're top yeah. three in offense and defense. 
I think they're their deepest team. I think they're the most complete team. I don't know, man. I, I really don't have a great reason outside of they come up against this superstar going absolutely ballistic. In minutes that Robert Williams has played this season, they have a 108 defensive rating, which would be best in the league. Uh, in minutes where Al Horford and Robert Williams play together, they've only played 100 or no, 214 minutes. Do you know what their defensive rating is in those minutes? I'm assuming it, it must be pretty good, like 10. I mean, it's a very small sample size, but 101, 102. 100 on the dot. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely insane. That That is like the Celtics are top three in defense right now with like a 111 defensive rating. If you put those two together because of how smart they are, because of how uh, rangy they are, and then you throw them with three great perimeter defenders like you're going to do with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White. There's almost no there, there's no point where they're not going to have three great perimeter defenders out there with that duo. Grant Williams, you can throw out there. Even like Malcolm Brogdon, he's a little bit slow, but he's fucking huge. I mean, like you were like, you've seen Malcolm quite a bit. Like, I think people don't really recognize how big Malcolm is, <laughs> like until you stand next to him almost. Long arms, like he's, yeah. Long arms, enormous hands, huge shoulders. Like he can guard up the lineup pretty easily. So I just, I keep... I struggle to find answers, I guess. I I really, really struggle to find the answers on why the Celtics shouldn't be the favorite. And I think they should be the favorite. You're right. Maybe they run into Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant just goes like super God mode, right? Because sometimes Kevin Durant just does that. Didn't do it against the Celtics last year. Yeah. And are there other reasons? I mean, we saw that... You know, they actually did struggle offensively last year in that series against Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee had a 97 defensive rating. It was a super physical, super slow series. Um, to me, what was the difference? And again, Middleton wasn't there. What was, why was the reason that Boston won the series? Yeah, Grant Williams did a bunch of open corner threes in Game 7. But I go back to Game 6 yep. because Jason Tatum went absolutely ballistic in the fourth quarter in Milwaukee. So they were in serious trouble in that series. So the team is... You look at guys that have made improvements and the guys they've added, Brogdon, of, of course. They're not unbeatable because I, I guess the question yeah. that, that the reason why we're saying Kevin Durant can go crazy and Giannis can go crazy is because Jason Tatum's had a huge season. Is he going to have that type of playoff run where he gets through multiple playoff series against these guys that have already won multiple MVPs? So that, I guess that's a real question as well. Yeah, like Jason Tatum is a top six player in the league. Yeah. Kevin Durant might be better. Giannis might be better, right? Yeah. Like if you have those two guys that you have to run through in the playoffs and they might not have to run through Kevin Durant now, like Joel Embiid might be better. That's a very distinct possibility. He might have to run through three guys in the playoffs where he's not the best player on the court. He might be the best player on the court though, in a couple of those series. And and by the end of it, he definitely could be, you know? Yeah. Like this is his chance. This is, this is actually like the Jason Tatum year. People talked about the way that he emerged last season into being that true top seven, top eight player in the league. This is the one where he can emerge into being like a top three player in the league, undeniably, unquestionably. Maybe not undeniably, because people will still argue about this forever and ever, because that's what people do. <laughs> but th- this is his year. If they win the title on his back and he averages 32 points a game in the playoffs, which... Distinct possibility. 
I mean, it, it's going to be hard to deny him as being like kind of the king of the castle. Yeah, and, and I've been pretty strong. And you mentioned last year where he sort of emerged. I mean, I've been pretty strong that everyone's been way too quick with Tatum to say he's like yeah. an MVP guy. He's this. They've been, and they've been trying to do it for years. And I, I think it's been over the top. And we get why it's Boston, all those types of things. But the other reason why I think people have done that is just because it's pretty rare that guys that young are exposed to the conference finals so young. And because he did yeah. it straight away, all of a sudden it feels like we've been waiting for Jason Tatum to get to that point. And it's like, no, no, no. He's actually just done it way before most guys ever get there. Yeah. And was he the yeah. best player? And Not always the best player on those teams. But the, the point is he just got that playoff. He's got postseason experience that I don't know what the numbers actually suggest, but he's on a pretty, well, feels like would be a pretty rare pa- pace for sort of playoff games at the age he's at. Yeah, I mean, Giannis, uh, what, Jason Tatum turns 25, I think, like in two or three days, right? Right. Giannis finally got to the, I think, conference finals. He was either 24 or 25 for the first time, if I remember yeah, yeah. correctly, right? Uh, that that was, in, was in 2019. You'll know that better mm-hmm. than I do. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that Jason Tatum's played in a bunch of those series already, Sometimes is the best player in the series. Sometimes is not the best player in that series. It's critical. It's been critical to his development, I think, as much as anything. But it's also been critical to why people are willing to anoint him as quickly as they have been. I think Giannis is a better player than Jason Tatum right now. I do, uh, if I'm being completely honest. There's no more dominant force than Giannis. But in this playoff series, we'll see. I mean, does, does Giannis have to take on the Jason Tatum assignment? For the Milwaukee Bucks, he well, and this is this is why it's been fascinating in the years gone by. And not having Middleton last year did hurt a little bit again because there was just mismatches all over. And Middleton is not an elite defender at, at this point anymore. There was a stage where he yeah. was, but I've been saying for a few years, I do think his playoff defense goes up significantly. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. been a guy that has guard Kevin Durant. He also will chase around, you know, guards in the perimeter. So I think his he's defense goes to a different level. So Middleton will get a crack. Obviously, Drew Holiday gets a crack. Now, the the Crowder one is... Int- I don't know. I, what, what's your take on Crowder? I'll ask you. We discussed him briefly uh, again, but... Uh, I mean, I think he's... F- I don't know. I was not a fan of what I saw last year. I thought he was a step slow defensively mm-hmm. last year uh in terms of lateral quickness like i think he's better suited to guard up the lineup more mm-hmm. so than like take on really truly difficult defensive assignments like i think if if he is asked to handle jason tatum that will go poorly for milwaukee um if he's asked to be like a okay we have to have somebody that's on jalen brown and then we're gonna throw Giannis on jason tatum or we're gonna throw drew holiday on jalen brown and you know maybe have Jay Crowder be like the guy that's defending Malcolm Brogdon or something like that. I think he can do that really well and he can shoot and like, he'll be effective in that regard. He'll be useful for sure. It's just, it'll be useful from a lineup versatility perspective as opposed to like being out there and like really killing it. I feel. I agree. I agree with you there. And that's why I just wanted to ask that because Obviously, we get people that say, well, it's like, this is PJ Tucker. And I'm like, okay, let's just cool the Jets. Let's cool the Jets on that one. He's just different. Like, it's he's not yeah. as good of an on-ball defender as PJ is, which was a role that was super, super important. But he does allow them to go small, which is helpful. The problem is he's just not 
going to be as equipped to take on those like incredibly difficult assignments, which means Giannis might have to. Having said that, Jay will be more effective offensively. So it's it's a mix and match. It's different, but he'll he'll help. I think as as long as he's like not totally cooked, right? Like I guess there's a non-zero chance he's totally cooked after having not played for a year, but. <laughs> I don't think he's totally cooked. Do you? Not really, but I guess we're going to find out. And, we'll, and honestly, the ultimate test will be in this series if we get it, which we think we might in the conference finals. That's when you'll that's when you'll be able to get your definitive answer on uh, on the Jay Crowder experience. Well, I'm looking for the uh, looking forward to the conference semifinals with the Sixers and Bucks, where we get the Spider Man meme of Jay Crowder and PJ Tucker. Well, yeah, that'll be. Uh, That'll, that'll be something. But as you said, hey, if Jay Crowder is willing to take a couple of shots, maybe scores three to four points, he's, he's going to be probably beating the production of, the, of our old friend <laughs> there in, in I, Philadelphia. I think, I think Jay can probably score eight or nine. Like, I, yeah. I think that's the big thing. Like, I think he can get Jay eight or nine. Again, well, he's going to shoot. Gonna we know good. that. He'll definitely shoot. He's confident. He's aggressive. I respect it. I, I do respect it. And mm-hmm. plus, you know what? You're bringing a legend home. You're bringing a, a legendary Milwaukee uh, king who went to Marquette, won Big East Player of the Year. You gotta love it. This is this is this is great. It's a great homecoming. I don't have the Marquette tie, Sam, as you know. So I was uh, significantly less excited than uh, many of the locals were. But you're right. You're right. There's some Jay Crowder stands. Uh, well, you, you might get some. You might get some magic. You might get that get that Marquette magic back. You know, that's that's, right. that's what we're looking for here. Uh, Kane, do you have anything else you want to chat about before we get out of here? Not really, other than I will say, look, when you go through these tiers and you sort of discuss some of the matchups that we are going to get, I hope everyone's healthy because there's yeah. some years where you look at the matchups and you're like, I'm just not 100% sure, particularly with the West. I just think it's going to be crazy. I think it's going to be crazy. Uh, so I, I'm, I am just really excited to get these next 20 games out of the way and see what we come up with. The West is going to be an absolute bloodbath. <laughs> the East second round, though, I think is like the thing I'm most looking forward to. Uh, NBA Finals, you go every other night, maybe once every three nights in some cases, right? The East Finals is going to be every single night just an absolute bloodbath. Or the East uh, semifinals is just going to be an absolute bloodbath every night, especially if we get like one of Miami or Cleveland uh, playing some of those teams like i think that could be really really fun uh, it's a good point you make and uh just as i look at the standings i realized that the these tiers there was a significant anti uh, new york bias in, in your tiers what's going on with the for the nets and knicks fans uh just we, they've been hanging we, on i mean do we need to talk about the nets like they're going to take a step back like they, they don't have enough yeah. offensive firepower i don't no. think um they'll make the playoffs uh, i think they'll yeah. be in the play-in tournament but they'll make They'll they'll be they'll, they'll be in it. I think um, the Knicks. I mean, look, I think people who listen to this show know that I uh, I adore watching this New York Knicks team. I probably would have them like fourteen or fifteen. I think when I did this little exercise, I had them fifteenth. Um, I think I had who who did I have ahead of them outside of the thirteen we talked about? It was it was no, I might have had them fourteenth. I think I did have them 14th now that I say that. Um, I love this team. I, I think they're terrific. I just think that they're going to be too easy to cause mismatches against in the playoffs. 
this is a big team that like just kind of you're going to play Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle at once. You're going to try and bludgeon teams on the glass and you're going to hope that you're getting enough playmaking from Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes and RJ Barrett. I, I love, I love that team. I love them. I just think that it's going to be hard for them to win in the playoffs. Very fair. Very fair. I don't disagree with it. I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, look, I'm sorry, Knicks fans. I do. Genuinely, I love your team. Uh, I, I do. They're one of my favorite teams to watch right now. Emmanuel Quickly's leap, like they can defend at a super high level on the perimeter. You can play like super fun lineups with Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and then have Julius Randle like at the five, have Josh Hart out there, just go like full energy and aggression and try and make that work. They have some lineup versatility that could be fun. They could win a playoff series. I just don't think they can win four of them. I can't uh, I, I just can't disagree with you, Sam. I can't. I would yeah. like to, but you're spot on. I, I wish I could disagree with myself on this. <laughs> I would love this team to be great. I, I seriously, I genuinely love watching this team. They have they like embody everything about Tom Thibodeau, and like they have fun shot creators, and like they they are a weird team in the way that I enjoy weird teams, but. Yeah, it's not good enough. Kane, uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Tell the people all about uh, all about Kane Pittman. Look, I'm just lurking on Twitter for the most part. At Kane Pittman, you can get me there. And that's where I send most of my stuff, Sam. So that's that's where I'm I'm hanging out most of the time. We do do Locked on Bucks daily for sure. And then I do a heap of Australian basketball stuff that, uh, let's face it, uh, a lot of your viewers and listeners may not know what the heck I'm talking about anyway, so I don't know how much interest they have in it. But we, t- we talk basketball. We watch basketball every day. What, what else would you want to do? It's a great job. Uh, you can go find Kane on ESPN uh, Australia. You can go find Kane on his Twitter feed. Kane will post a lot of his videos and segments that he does over on Australia uh, ESPN on his Twitter feed. Some of them are really fun. I enjoy the fire pit segment every week. I think it's just a weird, weird fun thing that is just enjoyable to watch every single time. So I'd suggest people go check that out. Uh, Kane and Copes, yell out some of the other podcast stuff that even American people can find. Yeah, we got two TV shows. We got the jump, and if you're in America, you'll find that. Listen, is it interesting that the ESPN Australia went back in with the jump, but they did. We got the jump every Wednesday night. Kane and Copes every Wednesday night. <laughs> which is me and Leonard Copeland, who's a a legend in Australian basketball over here. He's an American guy, spent some time uh, in the NBA as well back in the 90s. So Kane and Copes is uh, on TV, but you can get it on the ESPN Australia YouTube page, though. So if you ever want to just jump on and have a look at that, uh, it's a bit of fun. We have a laugh. That's the whole point. I enjoy Kane because... He's all about having fun with this thing, which is great. Uh, I don't have anything written this week because I am working through draft guide stuff. I've written four draft guide profiles already this week, which is good. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I do have a top 100 that I think is going to come next week, not this week. I'm finally going to release my top 100 draft rankings. I think I haven't done it since like the preseason maybe, but you know, sorry, apologies. <laughs> I- I've done mock drafts. You guys probably know where I stand. You guys listen to the show. Go subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini over on YouTube. Go subscribe on Apple, Spotify, whatever podcasting platform you use. Use that code Game Theory to subscribe to The Athletic. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.